Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Sean Coyne. To my right is... Colin Heron. And they finally proved that they're not the same person. <laughs> we have... Dominic Fainer. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we finally got the four... The four... What, 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 what we're chatting about last week? The four turtles together? The four turtles, yeah. <laughs> I am Donatello. I'm Donatello. You're there. Raphael. You scumbag. You're Michelangelo. <laughs> you're Wooster. Please tell me you're not a Leonardo man. Who is your favourite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Splinter. I, d- I don't remember. It's so long ago. You, well, we'll he, just say Leonardo. Just complete the I kind of... Complete the summary of a I think I think you should be Splinter because I could see you just sauntering about the place in a dressing gown. Bye bye. Did I, did any see the newest Turtles film? Nah. Is that the Michael Bay one? It wasn't directed by Michael Bay. It's produced by Michael Bay. It doesn't matter. Um, no, it. Like there's there's obviously problems with it, but I think what they nailed with is the turtles. I think the relationship with the turtles I is a thing they got right in it. Although n- you mentioned Master Splinter, I don't like the look of him. Who who played April O'Neil? Who knows? Megan Fox. Fox. Was it Megan, Megan Fox? Fox. He's, he's a wee bit wait, too sexy wait a to be April. Yeah. April always kind of seems a bit goofy. Hair. Yeah, it's, it always Does Megan Fox have red hair? No. no. She had a yellow jacket, though. All they have done, they've got this thing now in the movie making business, it's called hair dye. So they didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, come on. Well, it was the final things about it. Well, she's like ginger haired. Ah, that's fucked up. Was uh, that, the boy in the the boy in the hockey mask there? Uh, oh, nice. Remember who oh, the boy Casey, in the hockey Casey mask? Casey Jones. He's Casey a, Jones. Jason Voorhees. He's in the second one. All oh, right. Who yeah. the fuck's Casey Jones? Do you remember that? He's a boy in the hockey mask. That wanna be superhero. Who just said that? Who is Casey Jones? He's just a character from. Uh, what does he do? The Turtles. He's like a vigilante. As well. He sounds yeah. fucking useless. He, he's, he's he kind like, of looks like a friendly Mike Myers, really. <laughs> Michael Myers. <laughs> no, not friendly the... Jason, though. <laughs> <laughs> friendly Jason. Yeah. You do well to correct that. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, um, what, Mike Myers, I'm sorry. Who's... Who's the boy out of... Michael Myers. Michael Myers, yeah. And he Not wore Mike the, Myers. He wore the same... Well, he, this one's wearing a ski mask. <laughs> I just... So. I just fucking... 
Friday the 13th right. was just fucking Austin Powers knifing boys. Yeah, <laughs> they're just knifing somebody up just and they're just fucking going at it. So go, get him, 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 get yeah. Well, a mashup between Austin Powers and Fred the Thirteenth. Fred the Thirteenth, Austin Powers, dismembered. Incredible. Ah, that could be very like, good. We're on this on, boys. Or, uh, the we're on this on. Who stabbed me? <laughs> 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 the spy who stabbed me. That is incredible. <laughs> so so good. Anyway, I we've just started the show, so we're gonna end. Um. Yeah. Just to bring it up again, I'm on day twelve of not drinking for September. Yay. For uh, play, for play. Cancer Research UK, which I'm pretty sure I didn't say last week, so yeah, right. I think I just was asking people for money for some reason. Jeez, get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know. and but yeah. <laughs> your skin looks amazing now, Mick. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> and you're also on a diet. You've lost like half a stone. You're looking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I might dive on top of you, depending your on how you. If I'd have known any better, I would have thought you were pregnant. Right? <laughs> 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 See, it's a Craig and Jardy are doing it for. Fair play. How much you raising? It was thirty pound last week. What are you up to? Uh seventy pound. Oh, well, forty pound <laughs> hike. That's pretty good. You've more than doubled. Excellent. But uh, you're obviously still a heroin addict. How's yes. that going? Mm. You've been to that clinic? Uh no, it's I, I'm you know it's going pretty well so far. I'm just about to just run out of savings, so might get a bit of a shaky week next week. <laughs> 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 well, they can put you in a methadone program, which is apparently even tougher to get off your big ground. Don't worry, we're, uh, here I'm at Let's Talk More Booze, your brethren, we're right behind you. <laughs> Heroin addict, smack addict, cocaine addict, painkiller addict, have no matter you, what, we're behind you. Have you sponsored me? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it just went off on my head there, I just wondering, uh, you know you work at a, a print place? Yeah, I was thinking. Oh, I've been sucking on them fumes. If that's what you're having. Oh, you've been you've been snuffing glue too, have you? Just banners for things before. What's what's the mad? Because I was thinking about medical banners and all, but that's no fun. So we'll go somewhere else. Uh, what's the funniest banner you've ever had to make? There was a there was we we did this. It wasn't a banner deck, but it was it was this thing we were doing for. It's this. I can't even mind the name of them, but they're just uh, they're raising awareness awareness about like drinking responsibly and stuff like that. And so they I were have no idea how this guy turned out. They, they, <laughs> they they were making these glasses, and it was kind of to combat uh, domestic abuse as well. I again, <laughs> I have no idea how this guy turned out. Funny. Because apparently, like uh, like most of that happens, like if a person's drunk as well. Right. Well, you should so, know, Mickey. I know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh we made these glasses with this picture of this woman. So then, when you grabbed the glass, you were choking her. That's unbelievable. Glasses came out. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would put you off your drink, though. It's like, I don't want to strangle this woman. <laughs> it put you off drinking anything. 
Exactly. See if that was. You'd make me only fucking strong arm, wouldn't you? I'm just going to eat biscuits instead. I'm not going to drink anything. But eat biscuits and just reduce his fucking domestic abuse. I'm going to have in the house and fuck. But anyway. I'm going to have fucking shoes. If you would like to donate to Cancer Research UK, <laughs> from what this this whole conversation started from, uh, you can go to justgiven.com forward slash less drinking, more giving. Bam. Thank you very much. Okay, and now let's go on to... Danger Battle. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get I used to it. <laughs> it's really, really intimidating. So... <laughs> Tom Hearn, yes. Do you have a DB? A donge um, bonge? A Virgil de la donge. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, an Italian beverage called uh, Montano. <laughs> <laughs> Montano. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds like one of them knockoff Sainsbury's fucking drinks. That's uh, trendy sound, <laughs> uh, trendy sound, nice and, and out there. I, I think it was actually it's it's the it's promoted by the Italian. Uh, Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. Number one. <laughs> 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 Two years. Great success. <laughs> Great success. Great success. Two years, number one. <laughs> Eight years, number one in Slovenia. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky Martin, not so much. <laughs> so what? What actually is it? Is it a beer? Or what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, did you it's, buy us on price alone? It's uh, well, I bought it on percentage in price. Oh, sure, no, you know. that's how they measure. That's the ratio. Yeah. So, uh, original anno, MMX, and three in your Roman numerals. So that I think that means twenty thirteen. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So well done. Uh, you were listening to school. A, a good year for Mont. A good year for <laughs> Anna Montano. Cedro <laughs> <laughs> uh, Italiano. I don't the fuck that means. Uh, cider. Cidro. Oh, it's an Italian cider. Italian though. cider. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Okay, so you didn't uh, even read the back. <laughs> okay, so uh, Montano is uh, elegantly crafted Italian cider made with apples, only grown in the the, the Alpine Valley. So uh, you know, the Trentino region. Nestling in uh, the foothills of Dolomites. He sounded like Richard Pryor doing a voice. <laughs> he sounds like fucking Chad and Tatum in the 22 <laughs> Jump Street. <laughs> My name's Jeff. <laughs> He's Orchard. <laughs> I saw the highest senior enjoying fresh mountain air or 200 days sunshine every year. This is deliciously refreshing. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I don't know what I was going for there, but anyway. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a cider for Wayne's. That's what it does. What percentage is as, as all cider, not for Wayne's, really? Like what else was there? Yeah. Best server in the park bench? It's, it's 5%. Fiver? We fiver? See, I thought it was like an alcohol pop or something. I thought it was like some fucking mountain. But then. Uh, yeah, we'll find it. We'll From that go. beigey colour, you're never getting an uncle pop, it's beige. Uh, They're always like shocking pink. Uh, plus it has a or, uh, plus out of my fizz blue. It has it has a big picture of an apple on uh, it on the front. Yeah, I heard <laughs> yeah, well, You really that. read and look at this ball lady. <laughs> yeah. Two sixty nine. Well, ah, well, hey, well, I can't argue. Two sixty nine. I looked at the price tag like so <laughs> Pass me that man. I was way better rush, but you know what? 
Very nice people fresh, man. I'm drinking red wine, so we cider alongside that. They're gonna fuck Ooh, with me. Oh, the flavor combinations. Jesus, he is looking at. Get a wee sip out like a feeder now. I love that as well. Exactly. Mickey's all, you literally cracked it up for about a millisecond. Mickey's all, he's going to look at that, he's going to drink it or what? <laughs> Mickey's getting the itch. He wants it. Mickey, have we supped it? Nah, you're not doing it. I thought, I thought he was saying something silver. Give us a sip of Montano. But, um, Shan, what? earlier you reached into my top drawer. I reached into Mickey's top drawer and felt a bulge. They said he, at the very least. He and then he told me to get he told me to get my hands out of his top drawer because there was a surprise on there, wouldn't yeah, Did he say uh reach to the bottom drawer from the bigger ball? Nah, I finished him off in there. <laughs> so Shan if you're the one that I've got the one that's where I clean. Say like you said my new trousers only. if you if you reach into the top drawer, not really again, Mickey, you've been, you you've should, been fucking done. You should find something big, black and round. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, which Matt kind of said in there, baby. What's on here then? And I keep my eyes closed as I always do because I'm a good boy. Oh, it's quite a big specimen <laughs> I've got here. Sorry, <laughs> I'm a bit disappointing, man. I, f- I feel bad, man. Not at all, man. Right, I, 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 had, I had bought this because I didn't you, think oh, anyone was bringing it. Oh, oh God, hell. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. What's this? What's this yeah. juicy number? Oh, uh, we got two DGBs tonight, and it is. <laughs> black cactus jacks black <laughs> cactus so jack. it is cactus jacks but it is black jack flavoured and I, I fucking hate black jacks bring, black bring it over I love it I know you're, this is going to be like crack for Dom yeah, yeah, yeah. it is uh, okay. essentially the bike so Dom eats fucking black jack babs I just have a big <laughs> big slab a big slab of black jack just cut into it quite nice <laughs> Is that like blackjack padding? Blackjack flavoured mixed alcohol drink to enjoy straight from the fridge or over ice for a refreshing drink sensation. Also best served in a dole office. It actually says that. Sign on then sign off just. But... Uh, 15% and it looks like fucking poison. I don't care, I'm getting whopped on this immediately. Wait, oh fuck, this could go wrong. Right there. Smell it. <laughs> Not as bad as what I imagine, but what I will say is you know when you get a bit of fucking dental work done down the dentist? Uh, where, where else, like, you know what I mean? It tastes like. Yeah, you know <laughs> 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 Do you know what it tastes like? Openers. You know that shit that they give you, like they wash your mouth out after? It tastes exactly like it. Dom, have a go. Dom's just going down this entire bottle. <laughs> oh yeah, I can make franchise things. Nice could be a scruff all over again. Stop expe- nice stop inspecting it. Just, just drink it. Oh, I'm just having a wee look. Jesus Christ. <laughs> What's that look at? Is that my black it's bottle? A, it's black. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to know. Oh, yeah. That's certainly the doctor's tonic right there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of actually tastes like sarsaparilla, you bet too. Sarsaparilla. <laughs> That's what happens. I was watching a big old there. Uh, yesterday. Sarsaparilla, hey. Never tasted it. Always wanted to. Uh, well, that tastes like Sarsaparilla. Okay, since you've already mentioned it, Heron, what have you watched else other than the Big Lebowski? That's a great sentence, Heron. <laughs> 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 that, that, that was the IKEA of sentences. Just put it together. That was a bunny. That was a bunny. A jumbo, silly. A sentence, Heron. I mean. 
He knew I was going to ask this question. <laughs> well, no, I know what he's done. Here, and this uh, is our 20th episode. <laughs> well, no, all right, okay, I'll just say it. I'll watch the big Lewowski. Aye. Uh, for, it's, it's at least 30 times now. Have, have you gotten to the stage where it's shite yet, though? No, because <laughs> I've seen, I seen another thing today that, uh, it, it's it's mental, it's that good a film that you always find something on it. You go, fuck, yeah. I've that yeah. before. And uh, today it was, because the thing I find hilarious about it is, Every, every you literally see him grow and learn things and put put them in his head that he uses later. But it's it's so it's like watching a wind. It's it's fucking yeah. really funny. <laughs> like at the start, the most obvious one is all this aggression will not stand, and then when he's born, he's all this aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and then uh, there's so many brilliant ones, and it, he uses that, and then he uses uh, what does he use? He uses. And the parents over time. Ah, it's he, so good. He uses that because Maud Lebowski had said it a few scenes before it. But then the, the, the funniest one is, is the last one, or, or, or no, it's in the middle where she says, uh, "Are you familiar with courses, Mister Lebowski?" So, is all so the physical act of love, you know, you know whatever, and, all, and it goes on. And then when she asks him again, he goes, "Courses." I've seen a part that one was about 20 seconds apart where he re-quotes what she said as if they pretended he knew what she was talking about that scrub nails on the head so well and me and uh, Dominic Child last week about just how good the Coens are just writing screenplays in general but what's class about that and it's only a wee tiny tiny element that makes you know it's one a small part of uh, a scrub that is just littered with great parts that just makes it perfect is that the dude is obviously a sampleton. He's an LA sampleton. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's a complete nother fish out of water and the sort of kidnapping sort of thing that they got going on. And what you're saying is completely right. He takes what he sees as intellectual people's phrases Aye. and then tries to use them even though he hasn't got a Aye. fucking clue what they mean. But then because it's a comedy it's used to great comedic effect. And just a wee very very quick side one. Uh, you were saying that obviously you noticed that today after watching The Big Lebowski so many times that was interesting because I was watching Back to the Future earlier and I think it's class that when you've watched a film and it just shows you know the, the, the depth and, and, and how well written the script was that you could watch that film 15, 16, however many times first, and one, you, first one or second one first one sorry the first yeah. Back to the Future you could watch it so many times seconds t- better that's always a kind of really? I've always, I've always enjoyed the first. Well, I mean, the first one's a stone cold classic. I love the second two, but I've always preferred the first. But watch it today, and I might have been, Jesus, I don't know, maybe as I say, but the sixteenth, seventeenth time I watched it, and I was still picking up jokes that I've never got before. And it's when uh, Marty McFly first goes back to the diner uh, back in nineteen fifty five, and he goes in there, and he's really confused. And he's all, oh, can I have a Pepsi free? And he's all, let me tell you something, kid. If you want a Pepsi, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> and, like, I never pick up on that joke before, but there's just so much in there that you never yeah. really get because it's just littered yeah. and it's 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 just such a well-done piece of work. Do you not think that that whole film is about, like, the Coen brothers are sort of just trying to portray how to be a man? That's the whole point of the dude. Have you not noticed that all the other characters, all the male characters, have a kind of weakness and the one that you would sort of, yes. s- uh, in terms of weakness, he's he's got no status, as in he's he's it's just yeah. like he's on the dole, he's jobless, and he, he's just doing his thing. But he, 
and he's the only man that's ever in complete control of his life or it he doesn't actually strange that you say that because that really unbelievably poor Sam Elliott impression who obviously plays an editor in the, in the Big Lebowski that whole thing where sometimes there's a man yeah. and there's the dude and he's keeping a riddle for all the mm-hmm. sinners yeah. and he's supposed to be like a kind of template I wouldn't quite say for what man is supposed to be but just kind of think and control he, yourself and just basically he, yeah. the whole thing about the dude and why he's become a cultural icon since is that he is a man who literally does not give a fuck yeah. about what anybody else thinks and he has crafted his own life and his own kind of surroundings, and that is what he's comfortable in, and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Mm. And I do definitely get that, but what's also interesting too, and again, it goes back to the script writing, the screenwriting, sorry, of uh, the Coen Brothers, and it just shows their strengths, and how they can mash so many ideas, yeah. and so many things together, is that not only do they mash, like yeah, not only do they mash that in there, which is, I think, a, a fair point, that might even one of their main uh, sort of screenwriting goals with that script, but even at that, the script on a most basic level, is taken it's it's a, i wouldn't say a party but it's almost a homage and party no, of fall noir it's actually it's a remake of the big sleep yeah it's, that's what i'm saying it's, it's the big sleep you talk the words you move it is the big sleep that is a homage and party and almost reconstruction of the big sleep which is obviously humphrey bogart lauren bacall i think it's 1951 one of the greatest fall noirs ever made and it does that and it, it, it sort of it remixes it on the you know 1990s LA mm-hmm. and there's this mystery and the whole thing about the big sleep I think is it Raymond Chandler that is Raymond Ch- or is it Dashiell Hammett I can never remember I can uh, ne- I think it's Raymond Chandler wrote the big sleep I'm nearly convinced that it is mm-hmm. but the thing is about the big sleep is that no, it's just Chandler. Yeah, it is Raymond Chandler I, when the big sleep was released uh, most people found it completely and utterly incomprehensible because there's all these people who are introduced and nobody really knows what's going on and you don't know who's the killer who's not and it's also quite muddled at the end and the Coen Brothers try to do, what, do that with the Big Lebowski. We introduce them, like, you know, the, the perfect one, like, the nihilists. Yeah, you know, yeah. with the money Lebowski, give me the fucking money Lebowski. They essentially pay no relevance to that plot whatsoever. No. But they are just thrown in there, first of all, for comedy value, because yeah. they are really funny, and also for complete confusion. And Same with the teenage boy as well, that yeah. steals the car. The fact that you're completely and utterly confused going oh, throughout this narrative. Larry Sanders? <laughs> 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 the fact you're so confused going through this plot, you're you're basically the input on the shoes of the dude because he's fucking baffled. He doesn't know what's going on. No. And it kind of adds to it. But I just, I thought he doesn't know what's going on and he just, he's taken from each sort of experience as a mm-hmm. filmmaker. But he he never complains. He never he doesn't actually want to do anything. He just he he's just looking for the rug he, he because sum- it he, makes the room. Uh, he summarised that there, and he just says all the dude wants was his rug back. Yeah, yeah. Well, either under garlic. Because even both both uh, <laughs> Maud Lebowski and Tara Reid's character, I can't remember her name. Bunny. 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 They're they're really strong female characters. And the only sort of strong is Bunny a strong? Female yeah. Well, yeah, because she she's using her strength of her femininity. To get what she wants, and Maud Maud is, uses her strength in a different but way. Would you call her a strong female character? Of say she's not, not, just going about and no, shagging I'm, people. They well, yeah, because she's. She, I mean, but as she's got she power, do, you know? that she's using her power yeah, suppose, to her yeah. to her advantage, and that's the power that she's using. And all the other male characters, like the Big Lebowski, is actually in a chair, and he's pretending that he does like loads of good work, but it's at Maud says. Oh, actually, we tried to get him running the company, but he wasn't very good at it. Are you employed, sir? And (laughs) his parents and get a job. (laughs) 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 No, it's no, it's you know what? There's so many levels, and we can pick about 
the Big Lebowski all night because the script in itself yeah, is, is so well film. done. It's so 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 well shot. The Collins are obviously masters of filmmaking. Dan, what did you watch this week? Uh, I watched a few films. Um, I saw the musical biopic continuing on my uh, yeah. strain of For watching sure musical <laughs> biopics, <laughs> African American musical bi- biopics. I watched uh, Get On Up, the biopic of James Brown. Oh, ah, okay. It was good. I really enjoyed it. No, no, that's uh, Jimi Hendrix. Um, that one I haven't seen, but... Who played? Who played? You can review that next week, Dom. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I can't remember his name. Albert. Something Boswell. Boswell, Maxwell. I don't, don't know. know. Anyway, talk about the film. Was it, it was, uh, Chadwick Boseman? Yeah, Chadwick Boseman. 6.9, so it's good. I really enjoyed the film. Yeah. After watching Straight Out of Compton and Bessie. Was it Bessie? I think it was Bessie, the one of Bessie yeah, Smith. Yeah. This he, he breaks the fourth wall like James Brown sort of turns to the camera and he says and he's like oh like there's it, it goes through time as well and he goes oh I'm the most simple man in music and he just goes I'm James Brown I'm gonna sing he he does he does <laughs> he, he does the accent so well that me and my auntie were watching it and we couldn't actually understand what he was saying <laughs> <laughs> because it's really so, good Eddie Murphy sketch about James Brown uh, just give it to me it sounds hilarious. Many recommendation. Before I watched the uh, the film, you know, there's that interview of James Brown in the eighties, where he's on drugs. That's so good. What was it he, he says in the? Oh, I can't remember what it's. But you're just watching him on drugs. He's, he's on coke. Is he? I'm James Brown. <laughs> 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 what? what? There's a really, 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 really shite film called uh, The Tuxedo. <laughs> uh, Actually, I went to a cinema to see that. I'd seen but I probably didn't. But when I went to a cinema to see a Tuxedo, I probably was like fucking 12, so I didn't know who James Brown was. Uh, and it's, Does he yeah, kill James Brown? Yeah, yeah. Does he fucking kill James Brown? Is, is it a cameo of James <laughs> Brown? And it's about this tuxedo that he puts on, which uh, you can put it under a combat mode or whatever, and yeah. whatever happens, he has to get into this concert. He's trying to, uh, you know, find like a baddie or something. But he accidentally walks into James Brown's uh, dressing room, and, and <laughs> James Brown's doing it. But the suits in combat mode. <laughs> <laughs> so like, whenever he's doing his thing and James Brown comes up to grab him he's all so hey man why is whenever in the suits come up and does this big man throwing all yours what <laughs> 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 that must have been really close to when he did die because he died about nah, nah. 10, so 9 years ago 2006 that's not part also not really a fun fact, but he died on Christmas Day. Yeah. Continue on. Uh, it was it was a good film. I recommend it. I like the way that he breaks the fourth wall. I also like the way that it breaks up. It's not a linear like, oh, here we are. He's born in like a, a shack in the middle yeah. of the woods in the south, and then you know it, we could go through that whole hero's journey thing where he bumbles up and down and then becomes a superstar. It goes back and forth. What I watched this week, and all enough, it's one of these films that fucking everybody has seen, and I've always circled it, never got into watch it. First time this week, actually two nights ago. Shawshank Nelson. No, nah, definitely not <laughs> Shawshank. Now, nah. as a golfer, but uh, <laughs> a few, a few good men. 
I'd right. never seen a few good men. Good it is fucking so good. I mean, I was texting Mickey good about it. That's a few good men. I'll turn a cooker off, left. <laughs> but <laughs> so I watched a few good men and uh, texted Mickey about it. During it, Mickey had seen it, and I think it's a film that you really, really like. I didn't realise until I watched it that it's an Aaron Shorkin uh, script. Is that, yeah. And like... Yeah, what? he wrote the play as well. Yeah, he wrote the play yeah, and then he obviously adapted John it. Yeah. Book, no, no. I think... It's, no, it's, it's just based on the no, play. No, no, it's based it's on his play. I thought it was a great show. No, no, no. It's He done a play, Aaron Shorkin, A Few Good Men, and then he readapted it right. to okay. become a screenplay. Yeah. And what really frustrates you so much is that I love, and most people fucking... Who, I've obviously watched it or watched any of us love early Sorkin work it is so good it, the dialogue is so snappy the rhythm is amazing and then you just can't understand then how he does you know something as on the nose and as fucking bland as the newsroom but I don't know maybe he's run that ideas and I'm not going to criticise the man because he's done so much great work but the script is phenomenal now when it goes to a few good men most people only remember for all oh, you can handle the truth and stuff like that and it, it's kind of sad because you know you got these films that are remembered for certain lines or certain things Sixth Sense is remembered for the fact that you know Bruce Wallace is dead the whole time spoilers uh, say that before you say it yeah, yeah, yeah. Kiefer's all mine what yeah Kiefer has and he plays an absolute beanbag in it. he's <laughs> such a fucking beanbag in that film yeah. but uh, what I love about it is that it's just this it's one of the things we were talking about college school it's just a perfect marriage of so many it's every element is good and it just meets so perfectly Nicholson our Jack he's always going to be incredible and he is incredible and what I was surprised at is he's only in like three scenes that film's like two hours 15 minutes long he's the main antagonist and I think he's in like 15 minutes of that film and that's the thing that everybody remembers first of all it just shows how well how good a character it is how well written it was and third of all like it just shows how good Jack is like if it was <laughs> anybody else in that role you would not fucking remember it but then you got Tom Cruise early 90s coming on this fucking peak and the you know and the, and his powers lethal and then just the story it's just so well written obviously it's about you know two marines they've murdered this guy but then it, it's found out that their you know commander has ordered them they murder him and that's what the whole kind of courtroom drama is about and it's just so, so well handled. So well handled. The thing I would say is that, and again, it's going back to that dialogue and the script, it's just a back and forth. And we're talking about the rat-a-tat dialogue and yeah, the cornballs yeah, yeah, and wrong, yeah. but it is just give and take, give and take, give and take. And there's not one moment there where you're not hooked. It's 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 always a good sign of a film if you're watching it. And most films, even for me, yeah, and obviously we all love films there's always at least a point and even the best films that there's a slight sag and your your attention kind of drops and that's one of the few films I've watched in many many moons yeah, that my that my, my attention did not drop whatsoever and I think it's all well first of all down to the script which you know give the actors the tools then to put out these performances and the performances are so good but it's excellent one thing I will say though my only criticism is that Dem- Demi Moore obviously is a character in there and that's fair enough. Aaron Sorkin has got dogs abuse for so many years for not knowing how to write female characters. And you could literally take Demi Moore in that film and it would not change a thing. 
she is a non-entity. There's no need for her to be there. Was there like, uh, it's been years since I've seen it. <clears throat> was there about to be like a relationship with her and Tom Cruise? Yep, there? there was indeed. Uh, they had originally written that her and Tom Cruise would have a relationship and there's a cut scene from the, the, the final film that I think they get together. There's like a sex scene or something. Not, not like a sex scene, but there's a scene that alludes to the fact that they've kind of slept with each other. And they cut it, and, and rightfully so, because there's no need. The no whole film, essentially, is about doing the right thing and realising that, you know, putting the fact out that Jack Nicholson thinks that because he is in uh, the Marines, that he is above the law because he's protecting the country and keeping yeah. the country safe, and that's not the case because everybody is, uh, you know, they, they have to apply themselves, or they have to come under the law. And that's the main message, is that you're never bigger than what you think you are and, 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 and knowing your kind of surroundings. They crowbar on a love story, and that's a thing that we've talked about so many times before that just is so ridiculous. And it taints films, for me. It taints so many great films. You know, this fucking really crowbar and romance that doesn't need to be there. The fact that they did cut that scene and just kind of left it at that was a, a great choice. But no, cracking film, cracking dialogue, cracking acting, Jack at his best. Rob Reiner, early 90s at his best. Lethal. Did you know before they actually decide, or before they decided to be in the film, uh, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise, and I think maybe somebody else, maybe Kevin Bacon or something, went to go see the play? Really? And do you know who was playing the Jack Nicholson character in the play? Yeah. Anybody? Any guess? Uh, Albert Finney. Brian Blessed. <laughs> Ron Perlman. No Ron way, Perlman. Ron Perlman. I like a that. young Ron Perlman. I was listening. Well, I was the same age. Though. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> is he the same age as Jack Nicholson? How no, old is he? No, 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 he's like, he's like 15, 15, 20 years younger. Right? But I was listening. <laughs> I was listening to a, a radio show the other day, and for whatever reason, Ron Perlman came up in discussion on this radio show, and this Irish uh, radio presenter says, "Jesus, you know what I've never ever got? Why did Ron Perlman?" not become massive why was he not like the biggest actor in Hollywood he was Hellboy and they just stopped and that was it <laughs> and then it was, all, it was like Hellboy and then it was all but even though he was only Hellboy why was he not massive and then there was this awkward silence and then somebody says because he's fucking well looking <laughs> and that's, that's so so bad he like, has but, got I mean, unbelievable set of mandibles isn't oh he? I mean <laughs> like, that, has, that is I nutcracker mean, my, man my, my right favourite term it? about Ron Perlman is that his fist is doing overtime like you know what I mean his <laughs> well, fist is trying to be so many other things if there was ever a biopic of Tom Waits he'd be the man like, yeah yeah he oh, would yes. definitely. I, definitely I'd say Hammer Nick Nolte would be good too okay and we'll go into news our first news is the uh, first trailer has been released for Demolition which is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal stars as an ex- a successful investment banker struggling after losing his wife in a tragic car crash. Then open him. So hard to be an investment banker. So hard to be as rich as Jake So hard to be one of It also stars Chris Cooper and Naomi Watts. See, when I was watching I was all right. First of all, Jakey G, who's just other John Hamm and my lust of babes, so I was fucking real hooked on, and then I seen Chris Cooper, another actor I love. It it looks sweet. It looks fucking really good because it does look really good. I kind of got a wee bit of an American Beauty vibe off it because it's like it's the modern man sort of drama, but there's kind of really cutting black cynical fucking humor in there. And I even got that from a trailer. 
And if it is a sort of, I would say, updated or modernised American Beauty, then I'm sold. Because I fucking love American Beauty, even though it's got a white laugh flag recently. And people say it's so brutal. I think it's a little balls. I think it's a really good film. But no, it, it looks sweet. And and the fact that I'll just watch anything with, with Jakey G in it. I, from the trailer, just when it first starts off, I wasn't really sure what way to take it. It's like, it's kind of like a light-hearted kind of quirky comedy or something he's, he's writing to this vending machine company mm. about his M&M's and then it's like oh yeah my wife died it's just, yeah. just like a gut punch like. but that's so good because it draws you in straight away because yeah. I think everybody who's probably watched the trailer was the same they're thinking right here's this boy fucking chatting about the fact that he's not getting M&M's out of a vending machine it's funny it's it's very dry it's kind of you know well just dry humour in general and then I don't know where it's like oh well yeah my wife died 10 minutes before that and it's like what the fuck Aye. is this film about but I think it, when it comes to that sort of, and it, it, it kind of it bleeds into my topic that I'll, that I'll go on the litter, but when it comes to that sort of humour, like dark humour or very, very incredibly dry humour, I think it is so hard to execute well. Yeah, because yeah. if you have a film, you, you want it to be a, you know like a black comedy scene, you want it to be kind of really, I wouldn't even say sort of mundane, but really, dark and 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 then kind of it throws you and it, it's supposed to be a wee bit depressing but it's also kind of getting a giggle at you. it's so easy to do that wrong it's yeah. so easy then just to come off as depressing or i would say even heroin when you're trying to get a laugh you've, you've really got to hit the nerve with everybody yeah in a dark dark comedy yeah you, it's got to be your sort of appealing to all of those dark thoughts that everybody yeah. has in the back of their head, you know, mm-hmm. late at night. Uh, just the whole kind of tone throughout the trailer. I I still wasn't really sure what way to take it because of the whole wife dying thing. But you bringing up American Beauty, it kind of makes it make more sense in my yeah. head now. Like it's kind of going for just that same kind of vibe or whatever. But I, I the whole way through the trailer, I was just kind of questioning. Well, it's also what uh, devastating too. Yeah. yeah, he's soul searching. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. It's a young man who's soul searching. He hasn't really uh, perhaps he is I think it alludes to the fact that maybe his love was a whole lie. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I, you get that from the trailer too, and I actually find that the most interesting aspect of the trailer is the fact that, from what I got, and it's, it's so hard to tell from you know a two and a half minute trailer, and it's so hard to maybe try and make an assumption of a character but even from that I think that Jake Gyllenhaal's character has just been kind of born and raised to be an investment banker and he hasn't really realised or understood how to have a personality or have feelings and the fact that he had this really successful career and this beautiful wife the fact that he had a beautiful wife it wasn't someone that he would kind of brag about or see as a success I think he just found it like it's something that you have to do and it's that line yeah, it's that lane then. Do you under uh, the reason why I quite like to watch it? So I went out with a girl for five years, and I never really loved her, mm. but I could probably still go out with her and marry her and be with her the rest of my life. Yeah, and just in the back of my mind, just think, no, I don't. This is just I don't love you. It's almost necessity. Her. It's yeah, like this is I, I could. Yeah, I this could, is what people I do. I could create myself yeah. this bubble, and I could yeah. do that. And it's a very, very easy thing to slap on the, and yeah. that is why, and not to get fucking too deep, but that is why there are so many fucking ridiculously sad marriages about it, because yeah, it's it's yeah. so easy to slap on that bubble, and it's so easy, and I think it's trying to tap into that, yeah. this film, well, for me, anyway, from yeah. seeing that trailer, but it's trying to tap into that. Specifically, that, that thing, uh, it's spoken about really well in the second, uh, before 
song uh, before sunrise, before sunset, yeah. before midnight, and yeah. it, 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 there's a bit of dialogue where Ethan Hawke talks about uh, a girl he went out with that uh, they got back together, they separated, they got back together, separated, got back together, she got pregnant, and so marriage. Yeah. That's the way he explained it. But then he went on to say, because uh, she asked him, well, why did you get married? You know, why, why, you know, he just said, well, we had a kid and stuff and all. And then eventually he says, I think I was trying to be the best version of myself. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that's so... It's cracking line. just that line to me. I was just like, that's so fucking dead on. Like, of yeah. all people that do that. Like. I do think that's what it's definitely going for. But at the same time, it looks good. Obviously, the main cliche about trailers is that they always put their best jokes and their best lines yeah. in a trailer. But I personally think it's it's going to be a good thing because... Jakey G, I love. Chris Cooper, I love. He's, the lines that I did he's see. He's on a good streak at the moment, Oh, he's on a fucking phenomenal streak. Yeah. But uh, the lines that I did see, really good, really entertaining. And I, I just. I didn't, I didn't like the line at the very end of the trailer. What's the line at the very end of the trailer, Michael? Where the bulldozer rocks up in and he's all, you can buy anything on eBay. Yeah. Let's be honest with you. You can't buy it on eBay. Like, well, you probably can. <laughs> Yeah, pair of shoes and eBay, you know. Well, you mean? could probably get hold of a digger quite easily. Don't a lot of people? Yeah, you can rent out a digger. Today. They they rob banks in in the north just with diggers. They just claw out the cash machine and then <laughs> drive <laughs> off with it. You mean that, you've done that, Dom? That, that never that never happens in in England. It's only in Ireland. You know, oh, a, a bank was robbed today. Someone just ploughed into it with a fucking digger. Damn. Clawed out the tax machine. Please refer to it under its proper title: tractor theft. There's a couple of farmers with a, a few fucking bank islands lying I think, it, I think it's fucking amazing that it, people get away with it that easy as well. The best thing is, about six people still on the bank. And still they get away. So you'd be surprised that I've seen absolutely looked in the Hummock Fast and Furious 5 as well. We'll move on to our next news. But uh, they released the first image of Matt Damon shooting Born 5. Looks a fucking animal. Looks an absolute yeah. beast. I find it hard to remember. Was they ever, like, did they ever do, like, the gratuitous shirtless shot in any of the other Bourne? See, this is what I like. <laughs> no. This way, I like even more is that none of the Bourne films with Matt Damon on ever done the. Never got sexy. They never got sexy. Precisely. They never got sexy. That's what they're missing, though. Yeah. <laughs> sexy Bourne. That's what we're looking sexy for now. Th- th- that's what he's developing, Andy. If anything, I'm going to regress. Generally, just for a t shirt. You know, just a normal t shirt. There was no vests or anything yeah. like that there. It was the only time was when he, when he had sex with uh, potentially his wife. The German girl that got yeah. killed. Potentially his wife. Doesn't matter what, but she got fucking ruined. The <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, 
Hundred percent. Like you, you just fucking screws every side and turn the tap out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you scope it on. <laughs> you laser pointer as well. Just in case, like just in case he mistakes a belly button. Just. I know. But the thing for me is just, oh, they've actually started shooting Born 5. Because uh, you heard they were uh, doing no, it and stuff, and it's, I didn't realise it was that close that they were going to uh, fucking... And spite the green grass, you know it'd be absolute class if the whole Born 5 was just ham bustling gears, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, from, well, from that picture, it looks like he's doing, like, boxing or something, like he's doing some bare knuckle um, boxing. Uh, maybe they're going to have, that's like an opening scene, him doing something like really raw or and gritty. See, I'd be disappointed with that because, of him. like we were saying there now, the whole thing about Bourne, and I think we talked about this weeks ago too, is that it was a deconstruction of Bond, and it was taking away the whole machismo thing, and it was trying to make it just more... Just getting rid of that whole I mean, sleazy, yeah. fucking exactly. macho, and it was, it was I mean, pure I don't know misogynist. It was no, it was a deconstruction. It was pure spy... It wasn't the fucking gadgets. It wasn't the oh, born women. The genre, but it was more accurate. It was just accurate. You know, I think it was the same with the Harry Palmer films and the same with you know the Day of Jekyll and stuff. It was just yeah, I mean, like put, no, but it was it was it was a deconstruction of Bond, but at the same time, you're right in the fact that they were bringing back the sort of early seventies spy aesthetic and the fact like the Ipswichville and uh, like fucking uh, the Parallax view and stuff like that. They were bringing that shit back, and that and that's a great thing. And they didn't feel the need. They kind of had to sexy it up or spice it up with, you know, abs or sex scenes. And, and that's a good thing because that shit just becomes boring. And it is just things they spice up a narrative that maybe was a wee bit lame to start with. If you've got a good spy yeah, narrative, then yeah. you don't need that shit. Like, you don't need it. Like, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is, you know, a, 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 well, obviously it's, it's a recreation of the TV series. But that's there's a very recent uh, British crime film that just shows you don't need that. And the fact then today that We've seen the abs. I think, obviously, that's just a press shoot. I really would be very, very surprised if you saw Matt, or sorry, uh, Matt, I was going to say Matt Bourne, Matt Damon with his top off because there's no need. You've bought them up over three films. I think it was a press shot. Yeah, I think it's just a press shot. I think it's, it's, it's completely irrelevant, that film. I think it's just showing how fucking tanked he is for this film and how, how ready he go is. They knock a fucking head up, boys. Okay, the next news is Danny Boyle has confirmed a train spotting sequel. Yeah. Well, he said it's going to be the next thing he's working on, but he's saying that all, he, there's a quote here, all the four main actors want to come back. Now it's only a matter of getting all their schedules together, but it's a bit complicated because two of them are in TV shows. I, have, I was about to say, I, I thought you were about to say two of them are in jail because, like, fucking two of the actors or three of the actors in that fucking. Besides Robert Carlyle and Ewan McGregor. Well, suppose no, Kelly McDonald as well done Boardwalk Empire. Sure fucking, your mind is Who the fuck's the other member? Johnny Lee Miller. Spard. Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, he's shit. Hey, that's, that's one of the people. Uh, yeah. And then Robert Carlyle's in Once Upon a Time. Even at that, with a schedule and the release and stuff. I d- do you know what? I think I've always got this fear of when Isn't a it? film takes too long to have a sequel, and I just, especially because the first film is so iconic. I bet. Isn't it, sorry, isn't it from books though? Show. Yeah, there's. Uh, it's so they're doing yeah. the trilogy. There's what is it? Transporting. There's their bones. 
one of them. Filth. The sequel they train spot on is called Porno. Porno. Porno, porno, that's what it's called. But it's like, when you have a phone. Yeah, but yeah. When you have a phone, which is such a small shot, and like, Train Spot now is so ingrained in pop culture, and it was such a pop cultural fucking for smash the, for the nineties, yeah, especially for the nineties. And essentially, Train Spot in a way, it is one of the films that defines the nineties because it was something that just kind of captured, the, especially the the heroin of the, the, the heroin aspect of it in the, the, in the, the shit hole that was Glasgow sh- oh it's Edinburgh isn't it Edinburgh. no oh, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. it's Edinburgh yeah Trainspot and Zebra yeah it's Edinburgh so uh, the sort of as uh, as they called it at the time the sort of the, the, the hitch the hitch addiction in fucking Edinburgh at the time I don't know how you're going to get that again I think that Trainspot was such a massive hit because it had its finger on the pulse of that time period and it was a thing that was actually concurrently going on in a certain aspect of a certain place in the world whereas now if you were to release it and it just depends how they adapt it but if you were to do it as like a sort of period thing it would never have the same effect the sequels of the books now jump the same see I think they were talking about this about five or six years ago and when when they were talking about it I think the, the story they were talking about Megan was it had passed the same amount of time that the sequel of the book had passed mm. and that's why they wanted to do it and i think that's that's the whole idea of doing this other one i th- i'm not i'm not up on the whole thing but I, I, for some reason i read i think i read that somewhere that they would all be of the same age as what they were in the, in the mm. book sequel so that's why they wanted to do it well the the thing for me as well is that danny boy is obviously a massive director he's not struggling for fucking projects uh, like who is he um, he did something. <laughs> I can't mind. But uh, I'm not punk shop. No, but like, like he's he has the jobs uh, film coming out now. He's yet. on Leprechaun Six, doesn't he? No, it was two. Ah, right, Edit. okay. <laughs> Leprechaun Six, a fine film, but now I can. <laughs> but uh, I heard it on Friday the Fourteenth as well. But because he. <laughs> He don't fucking swallowing as well. <laughs> Just a lot of boys uh, getting blocked. I heard it. You know, a little known horror called Don't Scream as well. Uh, it was one of those ones you get free by a DVD player. <laughs> uh, on the other half was a biopic uh, of James Dean. Uh, and it was like, I don't know, it was like Seth Rogen or something. <laughs> no, Owen Wilson playing so, James uh, Dean. Wilson, that's what it was about. <laughs> or, it was like, or it was like fucking... Casper Van Dien or something like that. <laughs> really no, it, was, it, was, it was Mario Van Peebles playing. Mario Van Peebles and Just in a sloggy hair. Like fucking Aye. Nightmare on Halloween, <laughs> Elm Street. <laughs> one, of, one of the one of the 180 DVDs that you got freebie or DVD player that you would never watch. That and Lawnmower Man. <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen them boxes. Lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> Man and Shawshank are massive. Absolutely huge. The rest of them, you're just like, what the fuck's this bargain bunch? There are some DVDs that you find in everybody's collection. There are certain the double, DVDs. The double ones, you find them. No, but I'm saying there's certain films that you find in everybody's collection. One that I've noticed all day enough from fucking Jan Newbridge or something. Garden State pops up in so many people's collections. Brand. Another one, which is a wee bit strange. I bet you a certain age group only has Garden State. 
Mm, more than but at the same time, another one that seems to whop on the everybody's collection. Everybody I know and every DVD collection I've ever seen seems to have Lyricky. Uh, I don't no. know why, but they I, seem no. to have Lyricky. Oh no, I don't have Lyricky. My mum, my mum has, my mum has Lyricky. Yeah, I haven't got Lyricky, but my mum has Lyricky. I, I thought she I loves, had she loves a bit of Daniel Craig though. Oh yeah, yeah. D Craigy. <laughs> Big D Craig, big D Craig, big D Craig. Matthew Vaughn's first film. Who? Matthew Vaughn's Vaughan. first director. Well, certainly, also everybody forgets a, a young Tom Hardy is in there too. Is he? Yeah, yeah as a as a fucking like a drug fucking, a drug underling. What do you call him for Brookside's in there as well? Somebody's here on the chip shop with somebody. Somebody. They can totally fuck off because one of our pies went off. That's fucking name. His name's Monty. I'm all the fucking lines of the lyrics. So, yes, Monty, somebody's getting a fucking slap. Somebody's getting a slap because the fucking chips went off or something out there. Somebody got a fucking large bag. Somebody got a large bag. They should have a small one just Fucking petrol bomb about you. Taco sauces went sir, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right, Mikey, come on. <laughs> what the fuck did that start on again? <laughs> Jesus Christ, what was it? I was saying uh, that Danny Boyle is a director. <laughs> 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 oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> he certainly is a director. He's not a chaplain as well, but. Uh, no, but <laughs> I was just saying, since, since he's made Train Spot and like he's won a fucking Oscar and all and he's doing the Oscar has fucking large bags, just he's he's doing all these kind of big films and he's just did the Steve Jobs film and stuff. So if he wants to go back to Train Spot, it's obviously they have a good idea, they he's excited mm-hmm. about what they have planned for the sequel rather mm-hmm. than. Like you know, what you get some directors that they've made a few kind of shit films, and then they try and go back to what made them kind of big before. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what you're saying is like it's not like he needs to go back. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't need to go back. Like uh, he just wants to. But I think one thing I think that definitely they should do is is one thing that I think made The Wire such a good TV show was just the camera they used, and just every time you go to a season of The Wire, there may be a difference between one and two and early on it, but every time you flick that on, just the way it looks is you know, fucking identical. Yeah. It's not like Friends when you see a newer season, you go, alright, it's a newer camera, it's a newer whatever. Yeah. If they go back in that universe, I mean, I know a lot, lots of lots of time would have passed with the characters anyway, but I definitely think, I mean, that they should use the same camera or they should use the same techniques that they shot mm. the first one because... Yeah. If for the same thing with the wire, it doesn't matter if you go to season one or season five, you're back in that universe, yep. just in your head visually, and I think that's what they should do with Train Spot. I, th- I think Maybe that's an amazing. I think that's an amazing point. I totally agree with, and the fact that like I was saying before, Train Spot came out at a certain time, and I know I say this point every week, but let us know you act as a sort of time capsule of that period, and um, it it grabbed popular conscience at the time because it was something that was going on in Embry. You know, a very sort of unfortunate set of people who were. You know, addicted to heroin and whatnot. But when you think of Train Spot now and what is essentially your gateway in that time period and into that people, mm. 
the gateway and that is informed by the aesthetic of that farm this lowly lit really harsh looking urban reality of edinburgh and if they were to do train spotting too and of course they're not going to mock it up like it's some sort of fucking la rom-com or something like that they're obviously going to try and make it look gritty but there is like Colin was saying an aesthetic that is achieved from the camera uh that they were using at the time and from the lighting aspects they used at the time and obviously film which is always a developing art has uh progressed since then and grittiness it's crazy to see grittiness now on screen looks completely different from what grittiness looked like in train spotting but i think they need like just you read it what he was saying they need to recapture that they need to recapture right. that to get the power of it again. And they even not let just get the power, but get the consistency mm. of it. See, I think, I mean, what, what's happened with, with uh, Danny Boyle is he has ended up using, uh, he's definitely one of the people like using developing digital cameras. I mean, I think even actually on Slumdog, I think they were looking to use like the Alexa. They were looking to use a big, either a big film camera or a big digital film camera. And they actually couldn't get it down the streets. Uh, because the size of the camera and the size of the rig they were using, even a steady rig, they couldn't do it because the streets were so small. And so there was a camera developed that you get, you know, because people say about DSLR cameras, these small cameras are very tiny cameras. They're essentially just computers that are processing for you, and then you attach that to a lens, pretty much. And so there was this camera that they developed, and it was essentially like uh, a steady cam stick with uh, a, like a, just a square plate on top of it with a lens. And there was a small uh, wire that connected onto the back of the lens. It had the lens attachment and then a wire. And the wire led back into your camera bag. And so the processor that was capturing the data was on your back. And so that's what they developed for that. Right. And it's a fucking ingenious idea. Like, you know what I mean? And, and like, I think that's when it, that was around the time when Canon started making you know, proper 1080 film cameras and stuff. But... If he's such a progressive person, I would worry that they're going to use proper, big, they're probably going to shoot it on trend shoot it in the Alexa or something like that there. Whereas, I think, because trains belt and I think they're shot in 35, they should definitely shoot it as well, exceptionally low budget. Let's not, let's not forget that, you know, when trains belt came out, Danny Boyle, I think it just made Shell grave. Yeah. Next news. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, no, we're done with news, so we're on oh. some topics. Okay. Topics, 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 topics. So, first? who wants to go first? Can I, can I go first? You can, they sir. Right. My, my topic is, it's a bit vague. Um, Hasn't that always a dangle? It's always, it's always vague. It's just a dangle. <laughs> <laughs> now, considering I've been watching so many musical biopics 
Oh dear. <laughs> Oh, is, Dom, there, is, 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 there anything, is there anything wrong, Michael? Dom, no, there... you're not going to break on this song, are you? Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask... Because you were singing Tina Turner before we, uh, we well, started recording. It's like, I thought you were going to go on. They want, do not make me be the Bobby Brett. Do not make me be that Tina Turner. Tina is timeless, and so is her dancing. Especially when she's rolling in that shimmy dress. Shimmery dress. Anyway. I wanted to talk about when you're watching a film and then a song kicks in, like a, you know, where they maybe they begin a new scene. They, yeah. I'm thinking Martin Scorsese. He loved you. Who's he? He loves using. He loves using stones in a lot of his films. He's just yeah. the same track in three films. He's used "Give Me Shelter" and. It's he's actually been criticised for. He's actually been criticised, okay. but at the same time. If you're mm. ever criticised yeah. for using the same song and you're Martin Scorsese, then just go fuck off on Martin Scorsese. I'm uh, probably the greatest loving director on earth and maybe, maybe the greatest director I've ever loved. He, he did a Stones documentary as well, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. He did, yeah. Shane the Light, their song, wasn't it? And he shot and he directed The Last Waltz as well. He did indeed. And uh, the film Waltz with Bashir. Now that was the film I would like to talk about. Mm-hmm. more there's uh, is it P-I-L or T-I-L this is no love song where that song kicks in where during that film which is uh, John Lydon when he left the Sex mm-hmm. Pistols and he the before way he started that, doing the, the butter ads yeah before he started doing that the butter ads <laughs> idiot <laughs> uh, the way that that song kicks in we, you, can you tell me about when you've seen a film, maybe maybe it was flagging, maybe it was becoming a key jangler, yep. and then suddenly a scene kicks in with a particular piece of music, and you just think, "Fuck!" I it just draws you straight. I mean, I mean, there's ones in where you would hear a popular song, which is like, for example, at the end of High Fidelity, when Jack Black smokes, singing "Let's Get It On" with yeah. Marvin Gaye. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a that's a great scene because you kind of you know. Because I've seen the film a lot later, and I knew Jack Black could sing. You know, at the time he was an unknown, mm-hmm. and then it just people saying it going, "Fuck, this boy's actually really." Uh, I kind of annoyed that I didn't get that feeling that people got when they first seen it, mm-hmm. but it still gives me this feeling of you know the same feeling that your Rob character gets. But at the same time, like original scores, when you when you really hear them, I mean, like it. it the bank robbery track and heat is fucking mm. unbelievable. Oh, you just see feet coming on through the door, and it's just all. And I, w- I would s- bring up a, a, a sub point. Has there ever been a point where you're watching a film and a mu- mu- music kicks in and it completely ruins it for you as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say one like Heron and like 
music comes in and and it's it, it kind of it makes it oh, better on what you're watching. But for music coming in and and completely ruin it, I would say that again it's what we did in our holiday, which we were chatting about <laughs> last week, and it's the same scene where Bully Conley, God rest him, even though thankfully he is this when he's getting burnt on the boat. He's just died, right? Now, he's just died on a fucking beach in front of his grand wings. That should be a harrowing, harrowing thing for any child. And then, like I said last week, they automatically, you know, assume themselves, oh, you know what? We're going to just fucking burn him. Why not? It's only our granddad. So it goes from this kind of harrowing, those high strings, ooh, where, where he's just died, and it's like, oh, fucking hell. This is a bit deep. And then, as soon as they decide themselves, Oh, let's just fucking roast them and fuck them out under the ocean. It's all ding, 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 when they're trying to get them down there. Like, what the fuck is going on? So I think that for that film, thematically, it just fucked itself. But then the music again just added to how bad the film and how much it was nosediving. Yeah. But just to put one in there that the columns is about music adding so much. Yeah. And that's that's something that just brings you right back yeah. in like draws you from from where you're sitting right into the TV uh, screen I would say just sums up the atmosphere mm. I would say even just defines it and I mean I, I think we said this a couple of times before George Lucas once said that uh, you know music is 50% of any film yeah. and I do I, you know it, it's easy to come on loud that but I think that w- it, it can be proven right so many times but when it comes down to it there is this scene in There Will Be Blood which I'd say probably my top three favourite films of all time and it's when Plainview has first kind of got a grip on this wee kind of dusty new found kind of plantation town and they, they've just realised they've struck the oil and it's, it's almost like an oil rush as opposed to a gold, a gold rush and they're, they're rushing in there and everybody's trying to you know, claim their fortune but Daniel Plainview aka Daniel Day-Lewis he's got a stub and he owns all this land yeah, so yeah. no matter what has got it's his and yeah. then he'll just kind of disperse the wealth down but it's the scene where he's given the speech to this wee small town and he's lying to him he's putting on as Daniel Plainby can do this ultimate charm of I am a nice man and I'm a family man and whatever happens it's all about this town it's all about man. the people I'm an exile <laughs> I'm an old man and then he goes on the and it's it's just PTA's unbelievably good writing to use all you know irrigation mixed cultivation and stuff like that. And he's just, he's essentially just saying that he's bringing all these big machines in here, which the people are worried about. But it's just the drill oil, and as mm. soon as the oil comes, everybody's gonna be happy. Yeah. And that's not the case. When oil comes, he can give a fuck mm-hmm. about them, and he'll be happy. Yeah. But as he's saying that, you get these cuts to all his men coming in and the way I've always seen it and maybe it's just the way I play it in my head because I've watched the film so much but you see the men come into the town where all these kind of naive people are sitting nodding smiling at Daniel Plainview and as they drive in it's almost like he's raping this town he's ripping this town for its resources mm. and his men are coming in there they pillage it's almost yeah, like yeah. fucking uh, modern day Vikings they're coming they pillage this town and then the music swells that it's and it's Johnny Greenwood uh, uh, fucking from Radiohead yeah. phenomenal soundtrack done an unreal job of it but the music just fits so perfectly when they're coming and the music it's, it's actually quite soft but 
it feels like it a disruption on this kind of builds the mood. Deliberately, the soundtrack out there was deliberately opposites opposed. Like when when there were scenes of serious violence, the music was quite light and quite even minimalist. Yeah. When there were scenes of nothing going on, it was always fucking metal. Mm-hmm. Like that opening scene, that big opening. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was like the soundtrack was going metal. Well, that's perfect because in a subtle way, this is lovely. Plain views boys coming in. And setting up shop, they fucking, as I said before, ruthless town aids, resources. But it's this kind of soft music, but in a strange way, it really, really works. Well, really I mean, works. Like, 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 even because it's such a barren thing, it's the same thing we were talking about, about the dude earlier. Because, uh, you know, you scan across these barren things. I mean, people think that they're these shots, you know, that they, they mean nothing. It's just like an establishment shot. But what that shot is showing is, you know, every of this here is opportunity in that film that's what it's trying to show that's why the music's going mental Mm -hmm. and and it's like nobody sees it but Daniel Plainview yeah you know is that bad I had that mic up no I'm sorry but nobody sees it just say it again just say it again so I'm saying like the shot just pans across this sort of barren thing and I'm saying why the music is going so mental is because the music's representing the psyche of Daniel Plainview Mm -hmm. and so it's like he is at work he's like a you know his cogs are going a bit you know what i mean and that's what's happening he has seen this fucking piece of fucking oil that nobody else has seen and that's why he's shooting that big barn land and so and when he kills the priest the music's calm because he knew he was probably always going to kill him he says i'm going to fucking kill this boy i'm perfectly calm but jesus when when you brought up the big lebowski there the the introductory music is uh a, ma- a man like me by Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah a woman like you. But a man. That's that's why I feel that 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 whole film is about sort of just how the dude is like mm. is a, just bring out the man in me. Has that that no 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 the man way the, yeah 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 and it's, that's why I think that that one of the reasons why I like that film when you hear the music in a film You're right you keep watching there. and then you hear yeah. right okay this is the theme that they're presenting mm. this is this is the whole the symbolism that's going to keep going on it's perfect this for a rewatch too yeah. as soon as you hear that track and you see the, all the, the montage of bowling you're right back in your arm with yeah. I watch this whole film and well, you can't think oh I might watch 10 minutes and then as soon as you hear that track and see that opening sequence you're going I'm going to watch all of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> it just sucks in. It's, it's actually it's, it's a point that uh a former guest of ours and your cousin Chris Norway brought up lovely 10 weeks ago it was 10 episodes ago that he was saying that music in film is so important and you really don't realise it and it can draw you into yeah. scenes that you don't realise that are there but then on the other side of the coin you can have a cracking scene a really really fucking really well wrote acted shot DP'd scene Aye. and then the music just spoils it. People, whoever the music yeah. coordinators are for that film, have just assumed, oh, you know what, say this is a dramatic scene and we'll just put a stock mm. dramatic bit of music over there because yeah. that'll just fit in, that's, that'll slot in and that'll work instead of actually yeah. thinking, you know what, what bit of music can I put on there to even enhance this scene even mm. more? See, yeah. one that really drew, drew attention to itself for me is, it's a film I'm still completely not sure about. I, I, do, I do like elements of it, but, you know, I keep going back and forth. It's a space world? 
No, it's Public Enemies. <laughs> do you like Public Enemies? Oh, I, I like Public Enemies. I do like Public Enemies. That's, like John, that's, that's John Zillinger, isn't it? Public yeah, Enemies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he directed it too. But the thing I've, I've never liked about Public Enemies and... No, no, no. I love that. That's an aspect I absolutely love. But for Michael Mann doing uh, Public Enemies about the life of John Dollinger, I have always been a, a big history fan of like the Great Depression and uh, that sort of period of the the band that sues. You got John Dollinger and you got Pretty Boy Floyd, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Bonnie and Clyde and stuff like that. And I think it's a very, very interesting point in history, and that's fair enough. But for Michael Mann, I think and. Uh, I'm near enough sure that he's came out and sort of half admitted this sense that he assumed that audiences or the, the general people who were going to watch that film knew a lot more about that time period and Aye. John Dollinger than what he gave them. Because that film, and I am all for a film that doesn't there's give you explanation. There's, there's so much fucking history in it because yeah. the, the, Tex, the guy that was in Avatar and stuff, the, the Texan guy, uh, he, he was the guy that... Uh, took down Bonnie and Clyde and stuff yeah uh, and, uh, hey, unless you know that uh, you like and he, he precisely off the, he comes off this train and like the smoke blows under the camera and stuff and they rise up this guy and you're like okay, well, this guy's Stephen Lang that's his name Stephen Lang, Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. this Lang. guy's obviously going to be important and it's the guy that ends up killing John at the end of the film and it's just you kind of going right well that's significant enough anyway if he didn't know the other things but he took yeah. down Bonnie and Clyde and he was essentially like a Texan Listen, uh, I, I would say that, that I mean that, it's that right, film, it's right that up film is about the the beginning of the FBI really isn't it essentially yeah, because yeah. That, yeah. that Hoover's uh, J. Edgar yeah. Hoover's first obsession was John Dollinger mm. and then from that uh, and Charlie Chaplin old enough but from that uh, why what he do Charlie Chaplin because he was uh, he was he, just he directed uh, seditious the problem was I was reading that on uh, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes uh <laughs> okay, next topic. Who wants to go? Right, it's my one. It's actually something that me and uh, Heron discussed a few weeks back. Essentially, what it is is that obviously there's been a long lineage of uh, comedic actors who started out in comedy and they've been excellent, well renowned for that, and well renowned for being a funny man, and then. They've obviously realised that, you know, oh, well, you know, true art, true art, sorry, is kind of angsty and we have to be serious and we have to go into drama. And then they've made the transition of the drama and they've been massively successful. And it was actually, it was because I was reading TV Troops, which is a website that is unbelievable, that on their website, they have defined what I'm just saying as the Tom Hanks syndrome. Tom Hanks, and everybody forgets this, in the early to mid 80s, was a comedy actor. He was essentially... Jim Carrey, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, had, he, he was came off doing a sitcom. Precisely, he had his sitcom. He had big bachelor party films like that, and he was seen as a comedy actor. And then what kind of changed that was Philadelphia, which was and, and at the time people were what the fuck Tom Hanks is doing this role where he's playing an AIDS victim. What this couldn't work. And then he won an Oscar for it. And then the year literally won an Oscar for an all dramatic role, which had a tinge of comedy, obviously for Forrest Gump, and that was massively successful. And obviously you've seen Jim Carrey and even somewhat, I would say, Eddie Murphy kind of dip on there and then go back to his comfort zone of doing shy comedies like Norbert. <laughs> but 
it's strange and my my topic tonight is what do you think does top really do because the, the general consensus is that to be a comedy actor and most people wouldn't assume this because it's more light-hearted to be a comedy actor is far tougher than to be a dramatic actor and the reason being for that is that if you put on a mediocre performance in a drama film it's far harder to notice than putting on a mediocre performance in a comedy film because if you are in a comedy film and you put on a mediocre performance or your jokes your lines no. or your your butts aren't working no. it is so massively noticeable okay. and it's so noticeable that the film comedy is right. not working that's falling apart I would you know agree what I mean? with that I would agree so with that so I'm just I'm putting that question out there first of all the question is is comedy or drama hard to act and second of all even just examples of comedy actors who have made it back then in drama or vice versa which is exceptionally mm-hmm. rare I think I think that uh, they, they, all, they all are kind of hand in hand because I think the best uh, jokes in comedy are in comedy films are from a sort of a it's just from a human place like they're mm. from things that you've thought about abstract things you've thought about and then somebody uh, some skilled comedian has taken that and turned that into something funny and that's why it's really funny when they get it right on and again I think I spoke about this before this is why I don't get you know the Adam McKay sort of attitude sometimes where, where it's just as opposed to trying to come up with something organic that the character would do, sometimes it's, it's just about having a funny situation or a funny yeah. line, which sometimes stagnates his films a wee bit. Especially, I, I really don't like the Talladega Nights or the Anchorman stuff. I, I, well, just, I just find it really annoying. Stuff, stuff like that can get old really fucking quickly. Yeah, it can, and I think because it, it was it was, it was was completely retro at, at the time. You just managed to nail it at a time when it was when that kind of thing was retro and yeah. that, that's why it was funny and that's why it was ever and that was like this really quotable film and but it, it's weird because it's Anchorman became a better film through some decade finding that line funny the first time mm. because most people don't find Anchorman that funny the first time or the lines funny the first time and I've spoke to so many people it's only funny when, when people start quoting it back at them on a night out or something like there, and they go, "Actually, no, that is kind of funny." I, they, I know. Well, I, I would. There is a lot I of people have that syndrome with the, specifically the Anchorman film. I I would disagree. I thought it was really refreshing. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm looking at this through a sphere of just American comedies. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what was that? Two thousand four. Yep. That's it. So you had all the sort of American high style comedy that was coming through yeah. that was sort of being sort of marketed towards you see i would agree and i didn't you. i didn't watch anchorman and then it just happened to be a, a late night party that was at and it was on and i hadn't laughed like that like watch i, I never really found american pie that funny mm. then watching that comedy made me really really laugh mm, yeah. See, Dom, I, b- I would agree with you because, uh, and you're exactly right, in the, in the sort of lineage of uh, modern American comedies is that you had the spate of, uh, say, American Pies and teen sex comedies. And the teen sex comedies of the early 2000s, the 1990s, were essentially rehashes, very poorly done rehashes of the teen sex comedies from the early 80s, the likes of Meatballs and Animal House and stuff like that. Uh. And it was films that were done but not with as much care 
Now, yeah, American Pie might have a couple of laughs, and you know, it's 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 not that bad a film. But then it was, and the, you used the perfect word, refreshing to see someone like Anchorman, which was not in that mold whatsoever, yeah. and it was actually creating different characters, not yes. only different characters, but different characters within a certain time period, and it was like almost surrealist humor, and yeah. it was humor at, at th- th- that sort of time period, and and a humor for you know the sake of it you know what i mean as as opposed to just humor about you know all oh, get, getting a ride or having sex or uh, this shit just lazy lazy mm. comedy i do get where comedy's come from too and, and come from a human sort of aspect but it just throws out the whole improv yeah. and if it works it works but have you have you noticed that uh i don't know if you know the film will ferrell and kirsten wigden that lifestyle type film yeah it's been advertised i've i've seen it's it, not actually, is it no i i don't it's been advertised on the tv uh, yeah. where the babysitter comes in he's got a beard on mm-hmm. and it's I fuck i have seen this and the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. but then the, there was they have done essentially uh kristen wig and will ferrell have done i'm not like quite a, sure if a, it's a tv a thriller, a thriller yeah, yeah thriller type but thing it's, it's a thriller and is it about it's it's all about adoption or, or taking a well, child they bring in a they bring in a babysitter or something like that and then she becomes really sinister mm-hmm. and then there's a film where will ferrell he plays an alcoholic everything must go everything must i re- i really enjoyed that film he i think he did uh, uh, and it's the first time a remake here ever novel like i wrote Shortcuts, if you're not there, yeah. Robert Altman film. Yeah, I love it. It's just based on all the Gabber stories, but uh, everything must go. Is a, a Gabber novel, but um, it's the Gabber stuff is, is so uh, maybe maybe it's easier because it comes from literature. Obviously, he's a mm. skilled writer. But, but you know, the, you the, don't film, actually, the director, he's, he's, he was a new director, and he was you know he, he had an idea of how to make this, and uh, when he met Will Ferrell, he said. I can't. I mean, it was comedy Will Ferrell to get his name on it. Yeah. One, he wanted Will Ferrell, but two, he wanted a name on it. Yeah. So yeah. he could get the budget for his film. But I mean, it's it's not. I, I really believe, and I said a long time ago, like anybody with good comedy timing, it's very hard. To, I don't think people can teach it. I think it's an instinctual thing, and I think it's an instinctual, compassionate thing too, of putting yourself in somebody else's situation. And finding the comedy in that, and finding you know, and I think comedians generally are quite compassionate. You know, they they, they really have to. That, that's how they can move between all these things, and that's how they can pick up on beats with other people. Is if they understand. That it Humans. I and it, I a hundred percent agree. With you. And you know I, what I mean, and th- I think this is why. Also, if you have good comedy timing and you're a good comedic actor. Just it, to me, it always stands to go that you'd be a fucking good dramatic guy. Uh, yeah, just, it just translates well it, and it does just it. does. I mean, I think comedy it, it's probably the highest, most highly tuned form of of performance. It, it's 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 probably one of the hardest art forms. Like I one hundred percent agree. Yeah, like and you you've a say, you've hit the nail on the head in the topic that I was trying to get at is that what's a very strange thing is that comedy is always looked on it's like oh it's slapstick and you like the common clown and it's you know it's a bit funny but there's no depth there but actually in a performance sort of uh level comedy like heron was just saying is the most difficult thing they pull off and i think that it actually can immerse itself perfectly with real life is that 
if you're a funny guy or if you're you know you got a comedy chop or a comedy talent it's very very hard like sitting in front of you know like maybe a group of friends and trying to make them laugh much like a comedian sits in front of you know maybe a hundred four hundred fucking a thousand people and trying to make them laugh it's a very very big deal and if you had one chord that's wrong it falls apart whereas like i was saying before with drama you can easily phone a dramatic performance mm. because it's literally just putting on a surface and going yeah and muttering stuff and it's not me trying to knock dramatic you know maybe phoned in or, or, or sorry substandard dramatic performances but it's a lot easier to do comedy is a true talent and it's it's the case that and it's even when it goes back again the normal life is that when you're chatting amongst yourself chatting amongst your friends you always kind of pinpoint you know the guy or the girl that's funny because that stands out in your mind because you almost see it in a, a sort of everyday life sort of setting as a gift yeah, because yeah. people who are funny or charismatic in that regard are almost seen as like being oh jesus you know they're almost in a strange way looked up to because it is a gift i think it's, it's a gift yeah. to you because it's something that can't be taught it can't be learned it's just something that people have if you're funny if you can tell a joke, if you can carry a room, be it, you know, three people or 10,000 people, it's just something that you have. And that translates perfectly then over to cinema. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, if you're funny, then you'll be a funny comedy actor, and that's that. Whereas, if you're not funny, and you're trying to do comedy, it is going to fucking flatline. Whereas, if you're not funny and you want to do drama, then you could more than likely get by with, you know, I mean, you could phone that on. Comedic people can drop into and um, play a dramatic role, but can any of any of you think of a sort of a straight actor who's played something very very comedic and not being perfect. not not being a sort of a cameo? Perfect, or perfect point, and that's exactly what I would have gone there because a lot of people are always surprised when a comedic actor makes a transition and they being a solid dramatic actor. Even though it is, in or were you saying uh, a straight actor? In a comedy? Yeah, a straight actor yeah. moving into being a comedic. But I mean, so when it's me- not, when you're not looking at the personality of the yeah. actor themselves. And this, this, this was where my topic, like I said before, was going. Yeah. Is that you have so many comedic actors who have made a, an excellent transition and they've been a dramatic actor and have absolutely excelled at being that dramatic actor. Like you know, like we said, Jim Carrey. We've said you know. Tom Hanks, Robin Williams, Robin, uh, Robin, what Jesus Christ, <laughs> Robin Williams, of course, well, Robin Williams, but, and you're you're totally right in saying this. Name me one dramatic actor who is then, and I mean, okay, fair enough. You can maybe pinpoint one or two I dramatic. Yeah, no, but I'd say one or two dramatic actors who have went and done a wee bit of comedy here and there, but pinpoint me one dramatic actor went and then made a career as a comedy actor uh, now first of all Alec well, Baldwin definitely did he make a career no he don't fair enough we don't 30 rock but I mean Alec Baldwin was always doing I mean like, Alec Baldwin was always renowned as also having you know comedy chaps like fuck's no. like Beetlejuice and shit like no, that back in the day he's a straight guy Beetlejuice like before honestly before 30 rock Alec Baldwin had he was good mates with his uh Steve Martin and all that kind of stuff, and they they, they did a couple of things together. But honestly, before all right. Thirty Rock and all there, he had, he had, he was never ever seen as a comedy. Well, I mean, we're, 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 that's what I'm saying. We're looking for these, so it's good that you brought up Alec Baldwin, who I share a birth with. It's just obviously a wee fun fact, Gosh. but uh, also uh, <laughs> the same know. age. No, we're not. But 
that's a good thing that you've actually brought that up because I couldn't. I was thinking about this today and I couldn't think of one. I Wesley couldn't think Nielsen. of one. No, this is the complete <laughs> opposite. Now on TV troops, and I love the fact that you brought this up. Is that TV troops, obviously, which it's is a website, well. a, no, <laughs> a website that I swear upon is that a comedy actor who's been a comedy actor and then transitions himself or herself into being a dramatic actor and succeeds at it is called Tom Hanks syndrome on TV troops. A straight dramatic actor who has been incredible, but then transitions himself into being a comedy actor and is more well known for his comedy is called Leslie Nielsen syndrome. Oh <laughs> so Leslie Nielsen is the the main exception. He's, he's the guy of an actor who done. And in fairness, when Leslie Nielsen was it. The other, okay. the other guys oh, Marky Mark. But at the same time here, he is Marky Mark, you know what I mean? And then he tried to do uh, the science teacher in, what was it, science? No, what was the it? The Happening. The uh, Happening. Where the plants are apparently yeah. the you main enemy. It's not It's not a bad film. It's not a bad uh, film. It's, it's, uh, no, it's not a bad... You ignore the bad science. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad film. It's a, a fucking herocious film. Herocious? Is that even a word? But herocious. We've just made up a word. Herocious. I know, you know what? I got a real satisfaction of saying that word. <laughs> herocious. I meant to say horrendous and hideous at the same time. And I said herocious. How, hey, let me tell you something. How therapeutic. And pleasing is ferocious. Ferocious, uh, yeah. Right. It really rolls out yeah. straight from. Somebody from the Oxford Dictionary. We came up with one. We came up straight from the bottom of your diaphragm. Hero- it, it, it really it comes from the ball bag up, don't oh, it? It, yeah. it? It starts at your ball bag and comes out your throat. Ferocious is a phenomenal word. I am going to fucking try and enter on the King James Bible. I'm, King, I'm James King James Bible. <laughs> the King, yeah. <laughs> Jesus went for a fucking ferocious walk for about 40 days and 40 minutes. See when he was getting wondering, am I the son of God or am I just off my fucking head? See when he's getting crucified, Jesus had a ferocious time. (laughs) Right, so Judas Judas was a fucking ferocious comic. Ferocious tight. But, he wants to say it's a fucking arc. Fucking no man was fucking ferocious. <laughs> 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 anyway. Here, let me tell you something. Kane whacked Abel. Ha, ferocious slap. But see when it comes down to it, right? I don't mean they say that King James Man. I mean they say that fucking Oxford Dictionary, right? Don't be jumping on top of me like a bunch of fucking Highlands. But, uh, aye, common actors, dramatic actors. It's. It's strange in that what what's weird about it is that when a dramatic actor and a, like you were saying, Dom, and it is like rare. A, I'm as, I was just coming up, a dramatic actor, uh, Robert De Niro, when he's when he's in Meet the Fockers, that's just Robert De Niro. But, but see, then there's he's played a few other com- comedic films. But see, Dominic, th- this is the thing, and th- and this is where we split off then into talent and, and sort of reputation mm. and the fact that Robert De Niro he was playing is, no, a comedic not, not Robert, even De that, Rob, Robert De Niro and the likes of Pacino that's you know Pacino De Niro the likes of Baldwin and, and these phenomenal actors they're so good that they can do both whereas and it's unfortunate that some people 
just don't have that talent. It just and they always can, felt oh, to me that whenever you're watching Robert De Niro, you were watching Robert De Niro. It didn't matter what it, what the part he was playing. But see, that, that that's an our discussion. We're saying yeah. that you know somebody okay, can do okay. comedy and okay, drama. Yeah. Because he is such a phenomenal actor, he can do both. Whereas there's other actors who are obviously not the same caliber as De Niro that can only do one or the other. And it's looking at the people who can transition from one to the other and what we were saying before which is very very interesting is and it's the lesser known one is people who go from drama to comedy the Leslie Nielsen sort of one and I think and this I wouldn't say it's a, it's a great theory because I'm sure it's quite a basic theory but I think that the reason that you don't see as many dramatic actors go into comedy is the fact that in Hollywood or in I would say thespian life in general comedy is always seen as the lesser art form you know what I mean? Comedy is a... No, I would say... No, I would say comedy I, I would is... Always, a, I would say it's a higher art form. No, I have always seen it as that in acting especially, comedy is seen as a lesser art form because drama is seen as being angsty, artistic, drawn out, I would say that the sort of... The themes and, and the emotions of, of, of like man or woman and, and, and relationships and stuff like that. Whereas comedy is just seen as literally a body of laugh and it doesn't get as much well it doesn't get any sort of gravitas and it doesn't uh, be pulled up in the same sort of plump and that's why I think most actors especially comedy actors who are trying to be seen as serious because they know that in say the academy or the Oscars they're never going to be considered for any sort of awards resulting okay. in comedy yeah. they transition then into drama acting but for me I think that's the reason why there's not the transition the other way because they know that I fair enough they might have a bit of crack and have a laugh but if they actually want to be considered a great actor or have some sort of reputation or put themselves in contention for awards that's not going to happen if they go into fucking comedy you know well what, well, what, what do you think uh, Adam Sandler as a dramatic actor fucking he's a ball bag he just got really lazy for me yeah, yeah. fucking seriously good dramatic performance there. Adam I, know, Sandler I, I, has I, I would I would be interested in seeing more in dramatic stuff and stop doing was, fucking shit fucking, comedy. He was really good in that. And I found that Monday Watch Parts that thing. Yeah. I mean and I totally agree with because what's strange about Adam Sandler is that I mean and he's he's the easy go to guy and he's the easy hit figure for doing ridiculously push per comedies. And this is not me saying that all us comedies in the past 10 years doing Pash because they have been they've been fucking atrocious but the three times that I've seen him knock on the drama Punch Drunk Love by PTE excellent Funny People by Joe Apatow excellent Rain Over Me which Calm has just said excellent the three and only three times I've seen him kind of drift on the drama he has done it so well exactly now fair enough he and he can criticise them and he is happy enough we fucking his happy Madison Productions Aye, they just churn out push comedy after push comedy and just roll on the fucking coin and roll on the, the books and that's fair enough the man can do whatever he wants but at the same time it's a wee it, it is intriguing because the three sort of drama films you would say or half drama films he's done he's been very very good so I think there's well, th- that's just speculation, but I think there's a very good drama actor lying with him, yeah. Adam Sandler, that nobody really fucking knows about yet, you know what I mean? It'd be interesting to see him go on the more drama stuff. Right. It's kind of a similar thing with Eddie Murphy as well, because, like, obviously you said, like, he was, do- 
he's just happy doing kind of Norbit and kind of shit comedies yeah. like that. But was it what was it? The uh, fucking Dreamgirls. He was supposed. To, he was nominated for Oscar. Was he actually? Well, no, he would. He was supposed to be uh, nominated for. And then there was a but a Hollywood insider stuff. There was a couple of rows happening. He got in a row with somebody and it didn't happen. But whatever. I so. The, the story I heard about the air is that he, he did that obviously took like a massive pay cut and all because it was like a lower budget film uh, but he was doing it to try and go for an Oscar mm-hmm. to kind of legitimize himself uh, as an actor essentially yeah. but then he didn't he didn't get the nomination and then it was just like why the fuck am I doing this here I can get fucking 20 million to do another Norbit 2 or whatever well, <laughs> well, for us, of course Eddie Murphy will eventually win the Oscar and uh, it will be for Pluto Nash 2 <laughs> Okay, and we'll move on to recommendations. Who wants to go? Who wants to go? Who wants to go? Oh, I'll go. Go. I'll go. I'll stop. Yeah, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> 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 I saw two films which I need to recommend. No, you Re- only recommendate. Recommendate. Recommend. Recommend. We're making our own fucking dictionary. <laughs> <here. laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I can't even speak English. The dictionary according to Let's Talk More Movies. Right. I I went to see Me Earl and the Dying Girl. Right? It was oh, good. Oh shit, you yeah. went to see it. Oh fuck, yeah. how was it because I'm dying to see it for yeah, it was a good was that I a was punch? watching it thinking, Oh, it's it's gonna be one of these American teen comedies like, oh no, it's trying to be really smart and clever the whole time. Everybody every scene is really it is interesting. Getting... Doesn't ever show anything that's mundane. But no. It's getting it a good. phenomenal, re- yeah, phenomenal response really, from critics. It it's really getting good. a really, really good really critical good. reception. Yeah. What, what, what was that? Get? It was like, oh, it's really good. It's really interesting. It's, it, what's all? It, like he said all great things about it, but you were acting like no, you're no, second. No, you know the way when I see films like that, oh, I think, oh, they're they're trying to portray lo- real life as interesting all the time. When sometimes real life is not interesting at all. Real life's yeah. never interesting. Because I spent most. <laughs> I spent most of the week painting fences. This week particularly, it's painting fences and then cutting barley for hours and hours on an end. There's there's nothing interesting <laughs> about that. Did you did you ever cut a fence and pin barley? <laughs> I could try. I could try to make it. Well, more um, the man who subscribed the barley weekly will disagree. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> no grassmen. There's a, there is actually the grassmen. Sweet Jesus yeah. Christ! I've just lost Tiffany <laughs> Manley at the fact that there is hey, a. No, that is interesting. There is there is a real art to cutting silage and haylage. Oh my oh, word! Well, I'll stop it there. <laughs> uh, and hang on, the, hang on, hang on. The Hold second. Up. The, s- the second nah, film. you should probably because we can't cut you half sentence. You can, you can just let it roll. Yeah, it's all right. No, you just, can't. You know what, just say what you want and then I can cut this shit down by Say what the fuck you want. Well, the, the second film I would recommend seeing was Search for Sugar Man. It's a oh, documentary. Oh, it's so good. Search for Sugar Man is Unbelievable. Unfucking believable. So good. The first time I watched I it. I will give you a CD. Yeah. Uh, What's I've, it about? I, I, I don't want to give it it's too much away. A, it's about a boy it's looking for a coke dealer. A man, okay. yeah, is a man who's probably a, he's up there as Bob Dylan in terms of mm-hmm. uh, songwriting, but he never made it. Sixto and he, yeah, Sixto Rodriguez, massive, massive, and he made massive. it in only one country alone, South and Africa, then, yeah, and right. n- nowhere else for for decades. And then it came out uh, a couple of years ago, and he he finally got the recognition he deserved. 
the the beautiful thing about the documentary is and how how hum how humble and how modest is said the the filmmaker said do you not feel sort of gutted or bad that you know you were that big in that country and you never got the recognition and he said you you, f- you could have got a better a better life and he yeah. goes well i'm not sure i could have had a better life and once, love once he had the recognition he would go touring and he would do, he's even been in glastonbury and he's mm-hmm. probably done festivals in america now he gives all his money away Yep. And he he's been living in the same house he's he was in for forty years. And so it was the house he house moved in once he stopped trying to make music. It's a small shallow house, oh. and he just seems like, and you know what? He, he kind of ticks all the boxes of my principles, and he's the sort of man that I want to be. And that's why I love it's the film so much. In the fact that he's completely really beautiful, unmaterialistic, could not give a fuck about money. Right. He's just about loving and being happy and that's all matters and material gain is fuck all them and the fact that he's ridiculously famous now after yeah. that film and even though he was super famous in South Africa uh, that mattered nothing to him yeah it mattered nothing an amazing and it, it, man it, it, it mattered to the people who were sort of white South Africans who disagreed with apartheid yeah that that was sort of their rebel music for them and then it came it, it came across as like, oh he's very humble about it mm-hmm. but you listen to the lyrics I I would say that he's probably more sharper than Bob Dylan ever was. And it's strange as well. Just to capture that feeling of that the late sixties, early seventies, I think he he did a better job than Bob Dylan did. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm I, not. I, mean, I know I, that's. I, 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 I know that's a controversial. Thing I would, to no, say I wouldn't say controversial. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm the biggest Bob Dylan. But that fan, is but my I mean, recommendation. The search for Sugar Man. Phenomenal, phenomenal film, Michael. Uh, my recommendation this week is it's not a great film, but I think it's interesting. Oh, and it's Horns. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, wa- I watched Horns recently. It's on Netflix. Danny Radcliffe being an American again. Yeah. What's no. that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, it's <laughs> the basic plot of it is just that his girlfriend is murdered, and everybody thinks it was him that did it, and then he wakes up one day with these horns. And then he uses the power of the horn. <laughs> <laughs> they ride his way <laughs> through that town <laughs> until he finds the culprit. But it's a kind of interesting black comedy. It has black comedy aspects to it, especially once he actually gets the horns. And they the horns kind of bring out the, the worst in people. And they ask his permission, like, oh, like there's 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 a scene where he's just sitting in a doctor's waiting room and this kid's going mental and then the the mother of the kid is saying to him is like sometimes I just want to slap my kid is it okay if I slap my kid and he's all no yeah. don't slap it. like they ask him can they do like the worst thing that, so that's when he first gets it that yeah. she's the first person he encounters and and what I always loved uh or what I liked sorry about her I, I do think it's a very flawed film and like you said it's not a great film but I like that the actual just sort of plot and premise premise of horns is that out there that you think this will never work it's literally daniel radcliffe bitten about this beat up industrial fucking town in america with a pair of horns on his head this cannot work but and it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work yeah. as well as what it it could 
but they do a really good job of trying to make no, it the, solo again. I know the whole the whole second act is really is really good and really interesting. I think it falls down the third act, but because they just they don't really know how to resolve it, and I think yeah. that's just a problem just with that whole premise well, anyway. Yeah, it's a precisely here. It's a it's a problem of films in general. Yeah, but most uh, so many great films fall down the third act. Yeah, but it's 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 really interesting. I like the whole black comedy aspects of it and just the the weird things that people want to do in the yeah. thing. It's it's good and it has a cracking soundtrack as well. Bam, Hern, your recommendation. Recommendation is a film I watched the other day called Dinner Rush. Never seen it. Never heard it. It's a uh, Danny Yellow. He was in uh, Do the Right Thing. He yeah. Used to get him in the pizza shop and do the right thing. Speak Lethal. And he was in uh, Once Upon a Time in America. He was Beastie from that. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, a restaurant in Tribeca in New York. Danny Yellow's a character that owns it or co-owns it with a friend and they used to go loan sharks and uh, it's just uh, film opens with one of their old partners getting killed they, they've since been legitimate guys and they, they never shot guns at anybody and everything because they're just loan sharks and uh, so Danny Yellow owns this restaurant and his son's a head chef and his son wants to go on and own it and run it and stuff and they picked this night and so the the guys that uh, assassinated his friend, they come into the restaurant. Uh, his son's downstairs cooking. There's a second chef there who has like a gambling problem problem with the guys that are in the bar. There's a guy sitting at the end of the bar. You don't really know what he's about. And then the barman's English, and they pretty much introduce about uh, over the course of the introduce about twelve characters. And then there's like a power cook. And, mm. uh, I've got sort of comes off and on and stuff and all, but it essentially means that they all have to stay there for pretty much the duration of the film. And so the whole film essentially takes place in the space of about four or five hours for the most part. And it's it's almost like a play, but because there's so many extras and it, it's shot so well, it's just it just moves around and everything. I just, I just love that sort of contained idea. And uh, it's a sort of thing me and Colin, who was on here one time, sort of talk about doing. I just happened that I watched this here and she's like, no, it's only the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not going to change film. It's not a massive whatever thing. It's just, there's some very nice romantic, uh, ideas, like romantic as in like, there's some nice old school ideas in it and it's a, it's, it's a very well made film and uh, there's, a, there's a great scene outside uh, Danny Yellow says, I, I do my negotiations outside the, the toilet in that wee small alley outside the club and so he's chatting to these gangsters and uh, they're trying to they're basically trying to take his restaurant off him because of a debt that was owed and back and forth and stuff and he, 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 he said uh, he's like what one of his arguments was like no I'm not on the, the bookkeeping thing anymore he says no I, I, the guy said like you know I want I want to walk out here and us be partners on this restaurant Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, because Danny Yellow's character is, is like a, a big booty, and he's just like, he's made a restaurant because he wants to, he wants to have food. So it's just, it's just argument where he said, so you've come the whole way from Queens to come down and try and buy something or bully me into giving you something that you're nothing about. You know, and he says, bookmaker, and the bookmaker's gone, forget about that. You know, it's, it's just this argument of uh, you know, something you love and selling something you love. 
you know, this is something that you ate kind of thing. And uh, it, it's kind of a, there's a lot of really old school organic ideas at play in it. It's very, very Italian, very family Italian-y. And uh, no, it, it, it's a beautifully shot, the music. So all, all the actors are fucking dead on. And I don't know why it's, it's not better. It's a really yeah. cool film. I've actually never even heard of it. So Dinner I'm Rush. definitely going to give it a watch of this. Dinner Rush. Dinner Rush. Dinner Rush. Okay, Shanko. Well, my recommendation this week is Crazy Heart. Uh, I think it's 2010. Jeff Bridges, uh, Mickey Gyllenhaal. Essentially, it is the story of um, an Asian country and Western a musician called Bad Blake. His career. You said Asian. Asian. Asian country and Western. That's serious, but I'll be watching like you know what I mean. But uh, Bad Blake, he's uh, a, as I say, an Asian <laughs> country and Western star, and his career's had the skids. It's had to get so much that he's playing bowling alleys and he's in a bad, bad place. He's got nobody, he's disconnected from his sons, his children, his family and he's just going down the fucking alcoholic hole. You know, he's going into alcohol and he doesn't know what to do. And then eventually he meets a uh, music journalist called Mickey Gyllenhaal and he sort of falls in love with her. And it's, uh, but it's... It, <laughs> You said he meets a music journalist called Maggie. Maggie. Gyllenhaal. <laughs> 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 he's a sorry. Not enough play viral. <laughs> I'll rephrase that. He meets a music journalist played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. But that's, that's, that's kind of like saying I met this Batman called Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> What's nice though is that. It's not played in the sort of classic Hollywood ways that oh you just fall in love straight it away. It's it's actually dealt with in a kind of nice tender way, and they actually, uh, quite quite raw. Yeah, it's very raw, and the tech and the effect, and they acknowledge the fact that there's a body and age difference between them and stuff like that. But it's all about even that whole we side plots there with Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's all about Jeff Bridges, who is phenomenal in that film. Obviously, it's the film that he won the best actor Oscar for. And he owns that film. You can see why he won the award. He's so, so fucking good. And it's that he wants to be Bad Blake, which is his country and western persona. And he's been Bad Blake for the past 40 years. But you can tell that even though he's trying to keep up with his persona, he's tired of being Bad Blake. And he is disgusted at the fact that he's let his relationship with his children fall apart. And he wants to be good Blake. He, he wants to be a nice person. He would set. He would settle for okay, Blake. Yeah, he would. He would settle for all right. Uh, on yeah. on the fence, Blake. Not, not so bad, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the most devastating thing. And he's trying to hold up his persona, but he's also trying to break away from it. And then when he meets Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, she brings him out of it, and he starts to find himself. And yeah, it's a bit of a Hollywood cliche that he you know he finds redemption, and maybe in real life that wouldn't have happened. But it's so beautifully acted. Also, uh, uh, Colin Farrell's on there and he's got a fucking unbelievable ponytail. So <laughs> give it a watch. It is a fucking. It's a very standard drama, I would say. A very standard drama. You've probably seen a lot of, uh, many, many times. But Jeff Bridges' performance. Prefer- yeah, exactly. Jeff, no, but not even that. Jeff Bridges' performance, which obviously earned him the Oscar, just elevates at the uh, kind of higher level. Excellent film. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with us, suggest your own topics, even weigh in on our topics. If comedy to drama actors you'd like to suggest, 
let us know. You can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Talk More Movies, or you can email us Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com. You can also leave us comments, reviews, and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher, and also on ACAST, where you can get interactive show notes and links. Oh, Best gee. place to listen to this. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Sean Cole has been Sean Cole. Yay! Hey, hey. Colm Heron has been tired. Oh, <laughs> Dominic Phelan has been Dominic Phelan. Thank you very much. Episode. Hey! <laughs> doing something dead? Thank you so much. Goodbye. I've punched a goose midair. After stealing a boat. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 